If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're in what I believe is really a special and a needed series of studies that we've entitled Heaven, Our Forever Home. So if you were here last Sunday morning, you will remember that in our first sermon, we learned several things about the wonderful, beautiful, eternal place called heaven. We learned that heaven's creator is God. Heaven's, heaven's uh, currency is faith. Heaven's course is Jesus, and heaven's cost is paid. And I share with you, and I love this quote from my father in the ministry, James Merritt, that salvation is not spelled D-O-do, and it's not spelled D-O-N-T, don't. Salvation is spelled D-O-N-E, done, everything that has to be done in order for you to go to heaven was done when Jesus Christ died for you on the cross and rose from the dead. All you have to do is place your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. I saw this on Facebook this past week, and I thought it wasn't just cute. It was absolutely true. Uh, uh, people ask, this on Facebook, people ask, do I really need Jesus to go to heaven? And here's the answer, bro. You need Jesus to go to Walmart, right? You don't just need Jesus to go to heaven. You need Jesus to go to Walmart or for us in Harlem to IGA, right? So last week I told you that if, if you would send them to me, I would do my best to answer any question you might have about heaven. And man, have I had some doozies this week. Of course, one of the most often asked questions shouldn't surprise you. I was asked this on Wednesday night. Will we have our pets in heaven? And here's the answer. The Bible doesn't really address that. Not specifically. Not when we know that there will be, be animals in heaven. The lion will be laid down with the lamb. We know that. But animals don't have souls like we do. And so I can't tell you whether your precious Fluffy or Fido is going to be up there with you in heaven. And we're not going to retain any ownership of anything in heaven either. Everything's going to belong to God. So maybe, just maybe, all the animals in heaven will be like pets to us. Does that make you feel better? Here's another one. It's a doozy too. If my sinful flesh, which includes my mind, dies and remains on earth, what goes to heaven? On the flip side, if we as believers have some part of our soul or spirit that God creates in us when we put our faith in Him, what part of non-believers goes to hell? Well, here's the answer. At the resurrection of your body, your body and your spirit will either be in heaven or hell forever based on what you did with Jesus. Now, if you're a Christian, you're going to have a brand new, glorified, perfect body. But if you die lost, you're going to have the same old body that you've always had with all of its sicknesses and all of its weaknesses and all of its feebleness and diseases forever and ever and ever in addition to the flames and the fires of hell. Now, here's one that you perhaps have as well, and perhaps you've uh, asked this week. What happens when we die? And those last two particularly are the questions that I'm going to try to answer in this morning's message. There are, there are a lot of theories, a lot of, a lot of beliefs about what happens when a person dies. So the first way that people approach this is what I call atheism, and you just cease to exist. You're like a dog dead on the side of the road. That's it. End of story. You're born, you live, you die, and there's nothing after this life. That's atheism. In New York, uh, there was an atheist who died, and they put this on his tombstone, here lies an atheist all dressed up and nowhere to go. Then there's reincarnation. I call this Lion King philosophy, the circle of life. Many of your Eastern religions, they, they, they teach this. And 
That what they believe is that after your body dies, your soul lives on, and it comes back reincarnated into another body. And if you've done good and become enlightened, then you can come back as a higher life form. But if not, then you come back as a lower life form, like a cockroach. Mark Twain said, I don't believe in reincarnation, and I didn't believe it in any of my past lives either. And then there's what I call fatoism. That's my word. It comes from Plato's book that the ancients called On the Soul. It was entitled, entitled Phaedo, where Plato presents his view of immortality. And what Plato says is that he believed that the soul was completely separate, distinct, and different from the body. The soul is good. The body is bad. And so death is just the liberation of the soul from the body. And according to Plato... After death, the soul lives on without a body for all of eternity. Now, now, here's the sad thing. There are a lot of Christians who have Plato's view of death, and it's not based on the Bible. There is atheism, there's reincarnation, there's fatalism, and then there is resurrection, and that's what I believe the Bible teaches. When you die, your soul and your spirit leave your body, but... One of these days, at the resurrection, your body will be raised up, changed, and reunited with your soul and spirit. Listen to what Paul says about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. This is our main passage for this morning. Paul says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are, present from the, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Young child had a joke. And he, he asked, what does God use to light his fireplace? And here's the answer. A match made in heaven. I know it's bad. It's bad. I get it. But there are a lot of Christians who have bad, weird, strange views about heaven as well. And a lot of times they get those weird, strange, odd beliefs about heaven, not from the Bible, but from Hollywood. They believe, well, people become angels when they go to heaven. Every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. Heaven is this cloudy place that's like you're living in a dream. We're going to be wearing angels' wings, sitting on clouds, strumming harps forever and ever and ever. And those things might make for good movies, but they mix up and they distort what the Bible teaches happens to a person when they die and what it's going to be like when we get to heaven. Look right here. People, and I'm glad I can say this in this sermon. It's been a while. It's been long enough. I'm not going to make anybody mad or I should not be. People do not become angels when they die. As a matter of fact, Luke chapter 16, 
When Lazarus died, Jesus said that it was the angels who carried him into Abraham's bosom, which is just another way of saying paradise or heaven. So here's what I want to do this morning. I'm going to try to answer those, those last two questions. And I want to share with you and show you from the Bible what happens when and after a person dies. We all die. What happens next? Here's the very first thing that I want you to write down. Number one, let's talk for a few minutes about the purpose of our body. The purpose of our body. Paul says that it's like living in a tent. Look in verse 4. He says, For we who are in this tent being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. So let me ask you a question here this morning, a little bit of participation. And by the way, let me, let me stop right here. I need to do this. I need you to put on your thinking cap. I learned that in the other two services. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to put on our thinking cap. Will you do that for me? No, listen, put on your thinking cap. Because th this is heavy, but it's important. So here's the question that I want to ask here at this point. How many of you all have ever been camping in a tent? Can I see your hands? Can I, uh, uh, raise your hand. You've been camping? You've spent at least one night in a tent. Raise your hand. How many of you all liked that one night? Like four of you, right? Well, tents were popular and necessary when... Uh, when Paul wrote this in the Bible. As a matter of fact, 18, Acts 18 verse 3 tells us that Paul even worked for a while as a tent maker. So, but unless you're unique, or maybe you spent a, a while in the military overseas, and uh, you probably haven't spent a lot of time sleeping or living in a tent. Why? Because tents are temporary shelters. That's by their, that, what they are by nature. You don't live in a tent for a long period of time. They're not meant to be permanent like this building where you, you're made out of metal and, and, and wood and, and rock and stone. No, they're not supposed to be permanent. And that's the way it is with your body. Your body is like a tent where the real you lives. You and I were created in God's image. It doesn't mean that we look like God. What it means is, is that we are trichotomous beings. We are made up of three parts, just like God is a triunity, trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We are a triunity. We are body, soul, and spirit. Or to put it another way, there is an outward visible you, and then there is an inward invisible you. The outward visible you is your body, and the inward invisible you is your soul and spirit. And here's what that means. What that means is that the real you, that part that is inward and invisible, lives in your body like a boy scout in a tent. When you look at me, all you can see is the outer me, but there is another, an inner me, that you cannot see with your eyes. And there are all kinds of words that are used to describe and, and try to define uh, really what that inner person is. Some people call it the ego. We learned that in psychology. Some people call it the personality or the soul or the spirit of the person. President Woodrow Wilson's favorite little line was this, I know how ugly I are. I know my face ain't no star, but I don't mind it because I'm behind it. It's the others who get the jar. You say, well, what's that mean for me? Well, what's that mean for you? What's it mean? So here's what it means. Number one, your body will eventually wear out and die. Your body, one of these days, is going to wear out and die. Look what Paul says in verse 1. He says, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed. So he's talking here about death. And he's saying that there's coming a time when this physical body, whether by old age or disease or by some terrible tragedy like a car wreck or a gunshot, 
It's going to be destroyed. Every single person in this room has this one thing in common. This tent isn't permanent. It's not forever. And one day we're all going to get an eviction notice and have to move out. You say, well, <laughs> preacher, I don't like to think about death. I mean, I just don't like to think about death. Well, it don't matter if you think about it or not. It's coming for you. And so I think that there are times when we need to be reminded of the reality of death. One Sunday morning there was a preacher who was preaching about death, and he made this statement. He says, one of these days every member of this church is going to die. And there's a boy in the second row that just started laughing. I'm not, not, not like a chuckle. I mean like a belly laugh. I mean laughing. And so the, the preacher thought, well, he misunderstood what I said. And so he said it again. He said, one of these days every member of this church is going to die. And I mean, the boy just laughed even louder. And so the preacher stepped out from behind the pulpit and he said, son, what's so funny? He said, he said I'm not a member of this church. <laughs> it's kind of funny, isn't it? Sometimes they work. One of the ladies, as I was pointing in for the third service, she said, you know, that one was funny. Those others weren't. You like them when they work, Right. The Mississippi Genealogical Society's publication entitled Cemetery and Bible Records has this entry of the epitaph on the, of the tombstone of a 15-year-old boy. Quote, Remember, young man, as you pass by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, soon you shall be, so prepare yourself to follow me. Somebody came along, read that epitaph, and wrote this beneath it. To follow you is not my intent until I know what way you went. One of these days, your body, our old body, this physical, mortal, fleshly tent is going to wear out. You're going to, it's going to wear out and you're eventually going to die. So then the second thing is, when that happens, your spirit is going to live somewhere forever. Your spirit's going to live somewhere forever. I think the same thing goes for your soul. That's your mind, your will, your emotions, your personality, if you will. But I believe that your spirit is the real you, the innermost part of who you are. George McDonald said, never tell a child you have a soul. Teach him you are a soul, you have a body. And I think that's true. But the real essence of who you are, I believe, is not your soul, it's your spirit. Now, if you're here this morning and you have trouble distinguishing and kind of understanding the difference between the soul and the spirit, you're not alone. Matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews says that it's only the Word of God that can separate, if you will, the soul and the spirit. If you're a Christian, before you came to know Jesus Christ, your spirit was dead. But when you trusted Christ, your spirit came alive, regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God. And now your body, we spend a whole lot of time, money, attention, and effort on this body. But here's what Jesus said. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And this is good. While your tent is getting weaker and sicker and feebler, your spirit can become stronger, healthier, and more renewed. I've been in this tent for over 50 years. And I've got to be very honest with you. I have more hurts and aches and problems now than I have ever had in my life. I thought it was bad when I hit 40. When I hit 40, my elbow began to hurt. Now what doesn't hurt doesn't seem to work. Can I get an amen? Right? But even though this body is wearing out, 
This is free. Went to the dermatologist here a while, a couple weeks ago, and, and she was looking. I said, make sure these aren't things that I need to worry about. She said, no, I hate to tell you, they're just age spots. <laughs> I was looking at my hands the other day. It's starting to look like my dad and my granddad's. And so this body is wearing out. I'm sicker and more pains than I've ever had, but I'm more excited in living for Jesus and expecting of his return than I've ever been before. Right? Why? Because the purpose of our body... It's like living in a tent. Here's the second thing. The passing of our body. We all die, but then what? Look in verse 8. He said, we are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. I think that's the best description of the death of a Christian you're going to find anywhere. The moment this old mortal, fleshly, physical body stops working, our soul and our spirit immediately goes to be with Jesus. This past Friday and Saturday... Matter of fact, I'm feeling it today. Kim and I flew out to Fort Worth, the Southwestern Seminary, uh, for the President's Club out there Friday night and for a prelude to Christmas uh, presentation. And uh, there were four young ladies who had rewritten and rearranged an old song, and they presented this song. They sang it in four languages, English, Spanish, Korean, and Hebrew. The Hebrew word for death, are y'all still there this morning? The Hebrew word for death simply means to breathe out. That makes sense, right? Because when we die, what's the last thing we do? It's the equivalent of our English word expire. Remember when the Lord died on the cross? John records where Jesus cried out, it is finished. And then John writes this, and bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Look right here. The Christian should not fear death. That doesn't mean that it's not normal, natural for us to fear, become anxious about the process of dying. But if you know Jesus, you don't have to be and you should not be fearful or afraid of death. And I love what Solomon wrote about that godly woman in Proverbs 31, verse 25. He said, she shall rejoice, literally laugh in time or in the days to come. Now, death is no laughing matter. (laughs) It is deadly serious, right? But I don't think it hurts for those of us who follow the one who walked out of the grave I don't think that it's harmful for us every now and then to inject some humor and lightheartedness into the solemn, serious subject of death. One of the things that I loved to do when I was a younger man, not so much now, is I used to go, like to go to cemeteries and walk around and read tombstones and, and try to record some of those. And let me give you a few of these. So you're not going to know this first name, but you're going to know what he did. Uh, Mel Blanc was the great voiceover artist for Bugs Bunny, Woody Woodpecker, Daffy Duck, Porky Pig, Tweety Pie, uh, Sylvester, and many other popular cartoon uh, characters. He was the voiceover, oh, those with, uh, born in the 80s. He was, uh, lived in the 80s. He, he was the voiceover for the Looney Tunes cartoon Sign Off. Can y'all hear it in your mind? Porky Pig, right? And underneath his name and date, are these words. That's all, folks. (laughs) Merv Griffin, the longtime host of Jeopardy and creator of Wheel of Fortune, had this epitaph put on his tombstone, I will not be right back after this message. (laughs) In New Mexico, you're going to find the tombstone for John 
Watch this. John Yeast. And under his name are these words, pardon me for not rising. How many of y'all still thinking through that one? Yeah. Princeton, New Jersey, you'll find a gravestone of a young William H. Hahn Jr. who ordered his own tombstone a couple of weeks before he died. And here's what he wanted to put on his tombstone. I told you I was sick. And then Roddy Dangerfield. <laughs> Did you hear that? Roddy Dangerfield on his tombstone put, there goes the neighborhood. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians 1. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, you remain in the flesh. To remain in the flesh is more needful for you. For the Christian, death is not the end. It is just the beginning. It is literally going to be with Jesus. Paul told Timothy right before he was executed, he said, Timothy, the time of my departure is at hand. That word departure is a neat word. It's a military word that, that means breaking camp and you're taking down and you're folding up your tent and you're moving it to another location. It's a nautical word that's used to describe the pulling up of an anchor and the ship setting sail. It's a legal word that's used to describe a prisoner being set free from his chains. Think about that, Christian. Think about that. For the Christian, death isn't scary. It is encouraging and promising. We're to break camp pull up our anchor, break the chains of this old world that hold us down and keep us back and we're moving to another place, a better place to be with Jesus forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, right? That's pretty good preaching right there, right? The great preacher D.L. Moody said, someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher. That is all out of the old clay tenement into a house that is immortal. A body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint. A body fashioned like unto his glorious body. I was born of the flesh in 1837. I was born of the spirit in 1856. That which is born of the flesh may die. That which is born of the spirit will live forever. The purpose of our body is like living in a tent, Paul says. And then there's the passing of our body. We all die, but then what? But then there's the permanence of our body. Just like Jesus was resurrected, we will be resurrected with a new, glorified, permanent body. So here's your question. What happens when a person dies? The answer is, is based on what you did with Jesus in this life. The answer to that question is determined by what you did with Jesus. So I'm preaching on heaven, our forever home, but heaven is only the forever home for those who have trusted Jesus. If you've not trusted Jesus and you die, you will spend forever separated from God's family in a horrible, terrible, literal eternal place of fiery torment called hell. You say, well, where do you get that from? The Bible. Luke 16, Jesus tells a story and he pulls back the curtain. And he shows us what happens after you die. And he's talking here about two, rich, two men who died. And there's a rich man, we don't know his name. And then there's a beggar by the name of Lazarus. And Jesus said that Lazarus died and went to Abraham's bosom. That's another word for paradise. We might say heaven. But the rich man woke up in Hades. 
And here's what made it even worse. The rich man could look over into paradise and see Lazarus and Abraham. He could see them. And the rich man cried out, Father Abraham, will you have Lazarus dip his finger in water and come over here and just drop one drop on my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. He's still giving orders to Lazarus. Don't miss this. The rich man still had a sense of his body. He could see Lazarus and Abraham. And he knew that Lazarus had a finger and he still had a tongue. And he had a physical sense of suffering. And listen to what Abraham said to him. Son, remember in your lifetime you received your good things. And likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there's a great gulf fixed. So that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they come to this place of torment. He's not in hell, not yet. He's in Hades. It's a fiery place of torment. It's hellish in nature. But it's not technically hell. You say, well, how do you know that? Because in Revelation chapter 20, at the end of that vision there, the John the Revelator records, Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So the rich man is in Hades. Hades is kind of like the county jail. Hell's like the state pen. Lazarus, on the other hand, was in Abraham's bosom. He's not in the final heaven. He's in paradise. The current heaven. Paradise is kind of like the waiting room for the final eternal heaven. It's heavenly in nature, but it's not the place that Jesus said he's going to prepare for us in John 14. You say, <laughs> that's confusing. Let me try to explain it this way. February the 10th, 2015, my mom died in Jackson, Tennessee. The split second after her, after she died. Her soul and her spirit left her sick, tired, tattered tent and she woke up in the presence of Jesus with a brand new body that didn't have one single solitary cancer cell. She was healed and whole and just like that rich man in Lazarus, she had the sense of a tongue and a finger and she knew where she was. But now... A couple of days later, we took her body and we brought it back to Milan, Tennessee, and we buried her there in the Oakwood Cemetery, and that's where her corpse has been for now more than eight years. Probably not in the best shape right now, but that's okay because there are bodies of other Christians in that cemetery that are far more deteriorated than, than hers is. Bodies of some Christians buried at sea. Bodies of some burned up. Some were destroyed and eaten by wild animals. Some were lost to the frozen north. But those believers are with Jesus in paradise right this very minute with a sense of having a whole, healthy body. And here's what my mom, that's pretty good right there. That's what my mama knows. 
The body that she has in paradise isn't her permanent, eternal, forever body. And she knows that one of these days, Jesus is going to come back on the clouds, snatch his children up, rapture his church up into heaven. And when Jesus Christ comes back, he's going to bring my mom and all of those other saints who have died before with him. And that's when they're going to get their resurrected, glorified bodies. You say, where do you get that from? Do I have to keep repeating this? The Bible, listen to what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be called up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. You say, well, wow. What is our resurrected, glorified body going to be like? It's going to be like Jesus' resurrected body. Remember what John said in John chapter, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. He said, It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And after that, the resurrected saints and those Christians who are still alive when Jesus comes back will join Jesus in paradise. And this way I understand it. We're going to be there for seven years. Jesus is going to come back at the Battle of Armageddon. The battle is going to be over before it even gets started with just one word or maybe two words from the mouth of Jesus. Drop dead. Jesus will rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years. And we're going to be with him here during that time. Then at the end of that thousand years, God will create a new heaven and a new earth, the most amazing extreme makeover you've ever seen. That's when that new Jerusalem is going to descend from heaven to earth. That's when we will experience the permanent, eternal, forever heaven. You say, well, what's it going to be like when we get there? Mentally, you're going to have a renewed mind. You're never going to lose your keys again. emotionally, you're going to have a joy-filled heart. And physically, you're going to have a body that will live forever in the presence of God. No more pain, no more suffering, no more death. You say, well, how old are we going to be? I don't know. Old enough to enjoy all of the blessings and beauty of heaven forever and ever and ever. So here's my question for you and we're done. Where will you be one second after you die? You don't have a choice. You're going to die. Where are you going to be one second after you die? You say, I don't care. <laughs> you better care. That rich man didn't care where he was going to be until about he woke up in Hades, right? Where are you going to be one second after you die? I don't care. Or, I don't know. 
You can know. John said, These things I write to you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have everlasting life. Do you know that you can know? You say, I don't think you can. Well, you're calling John a liar. John said you can. My prayer is that this morning when I ask you, where will you be one second after you die? My prayer is that you would say, I'm going to be out of this old body and in the presence of my Savior forever. That's what I pray you can say this morning. And even if you can't say it right now, you could say that, you could be able to say that before you leave this place today. We follow one. Hey, Christian, we follow one who walked out of the grave. Death no longer has a sting. Grave no longer has the victory. Because Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave.